Well, good morning. Again, my name is George Hinman. It's so good to be together. I want to just take a few minutes before diving into our message for the day and talk a little bit more about next Sunday. Maybe you've heard we have one service next Sunday at 9.30 a.m. And I want you to understand why we're doing that and know how to participate. We're going to be doing church like you've never done it before. Uh, This is our first step uh, going next door. You may have heard me say, if you've been around the past few months, that the center of gravity at UPC is moving from our campus and from our worship services out into our neighborhoods. We're not changing our worship services, uh, but what we are trying to do is extend the wonderful experience that we have in, in Jesus Christ out into our neighborhoods and make that same experience more available to our neighbors. And to do that, we need to start to make some relational connections in our congregation across different neighborhoods that we live in, um, relational connections. And so in order to do that, we're taking advantage of a single day of worship, all gathering together in one service, and then some breakout sessions. Here's what you should know about this. Three things first. Number one, we're, we're, we're doing this because of Jesus. We're following Jesus. We're joining Jesus. We talk about our strategy as being four missional community, and you may have seen this diagram that we use to depict it. Uh, But really, this is just our fancy way of talking about what it means to be a healthy follower of Jesus Christ. Every follower of Jesus should be thinking intentionally about formation, mission, and community. Every follower of Jesus should be able to ask, or should be asking themselves, the formation question, how am I growing in Christ? should be able to ask the mission question, how am I serving in Christ? And should be able to ask the community question, who are my people in Christ? Formational community is just when you put those three things uh, together. Now, not everything that we do at UPC will be formational community. For example, we'll have worship services like this. But everything we do will support formational community. So we're doing this because of Jesus, because he has a mission and is calling us to an adventure in our neighborhoods. The second thing to know is that there's a place for you in our future, even at, on October 27th, next Sunday. But I grant that it's going to be a little bit messy and it might take a while, maybe even some weeks, to find our place. But know that we're doing this to make a place uh, for you. We're looking immediately, first of all, for leaders, for people who can lead formational communities. But the whole point is to make room for everybody, and even our neighbors. I mean, we're a family, and there's a place for everybody in a family. Those of us who are here for the very first time on Sunday. Well, those of us who've been here for for decades. Those of us who are young. Those of us who are old. Those of us who are white. Those of us who are people of color. Those of us who are believers. Those of us who are not, and we're still seeking, and we bring our questions uh, to church. We're making space. That's why we're doing this, making space for all. So there's a place for you. And the third thing is, this is not the end of a journey. It's just the beginning of a journey. This is just the first step. In fact, if you think about the image of a doorway, we're passing over a threshold here, but it's not even our neighbor's threshold. It's just our own threshold. This is what it takes to kind of get us moving out of our own church space into our neighborhoods. Last spring, we talked together about what our vision was. The elders wanted me to share this with the whole congregations. And this is what we think God's calling us to. We just got an image of it, but we were all invited in the conversation. This fall, 
we're beginning to identify our neighborhoods and the people who share the same neighborhoods with us so that we can circle together uh, on mission. Now, this will be messy. This Sunday will be messy. And there are lots of unanswered questions. I'm sure that you have some of them in your head. I know I have them. But I'd like to invite you to prepare for next Sunday uh, with us. And there are three things that I'd ask you to do to prepare. And you just know the Holy Spirit's at work because they all start with the letter P. So you can prepare in these three ways. Pray, park, and pick. Let me explain that. First, pray. I would, I would invite all of us, I'm doing this, ask Jesus this question. Jesus, what's my primary neighborhood? You know, you're already in a neighborhood like me. You're in many neighborhoods. When we talk about a neighborhood, we don't just mean geography here. We mean people, people with a natural connection. Uh, we might live, study, work, or play together. These are many different kinds of neighborhoods. And, and to ask Jesus to identify your primary neighborhood is really to ask him, where do I spend most of my time, my emotional energy? Where am I already connected? Or to ask, where do I sense concern? Where are you calling me to serve? Because we're in so many neighborhoods, it, it'll be helpful for you to identify one particular neighborhood that's on your mind and on your heart these days so that when we come together, whether that's on the 27th of October next Sunday or beyond, you can begin to find other people who identify that same neighborhood and then you can circle with them on mission. This is our goal. So pray. Let's pray. Let's start with prayer. Secondly, park. Uh, if, if many of us come next Sunday, as we're hoping, then there'll be a parking problem. We're just acknowledging that. And if you're able-bodied, what would be really helpful is if you'd park on the campus at University of Washington so that there's room closer for those who are not. And my favorite place to park is under a red square. There's, you can access this vast free parking lot uh, by driving down 15th Avenue just here and then turning left uh, when you hit 41st Street right into that parking lot under University of Washington. And then thirdly, pick. There's a choice to be made because we have some breakouts. The way the day is going to work next Sunday is we're all going to start in here for 45 minutes of worship. By the way, it's going to be a short worship service. And I would encourage you, if you're still kind of scratching your head and you don't want to stay for a long day, just come for the 45-minute service. If you're a Seahawk fan, we'll get you out in time to watch the game. And, uh, but, but I hope you're going to want to stay. After that 45-minute, we're going to move into three different breakout sessions across the campus. Uh, learn, join, or start. And then we're going to come back in here for 15-minute commissioning. But here's what you're going to have to pick. One of these three breakouts. If you're really still wondering, what is this mission all about? or you're new to UPC, I want to invite you to come to my session, which will be right here in the sanctuary. It'll be the learn session. I'll explain a little bit more to you, and then we'll answer questions together. Uh, if you are currently in one of 10 formational communities that has opted in and said, we're ready to reach out to people beyond ourselves and invite them into our circle, uh, then you, you're going to be at the join group. And the rest of us are invited to go to the join group and get to know some of these formational communities. There are 10 of them. And uh, it's not all of our ministries, it's just the ones that are ready. And then thirdly, you could pick the start group. If you're an early adopter and you're ready to start a new formational community in your neighborhood, or maybe transition a current ministry that you already have going, or a small group that you're already in, and you'd like to transition that into a formational community, please come to our start session and uh, we'll help one another do that. And this is where you'll find, by the way, a number of our emerging ministries have been around for a while, but they're starting to do the work to become formational communities. Ministries like Second Wind or our Boy Scouts ministry or Men Seeking Purity or Refugee Ministry, geographical neighborhood uh, groups. 
and so forth. So come to any of this. If you're a person who has a gift of prayer, I want to encourage you as well to just to consider praying throughout the day. We're going to have chairs in all of the breakout rooms and we're, we're looking for people to, who will just pray over the gatherings and allow and invite Jesus to be at work uh, among us. So whether you're new or, or have been here for a long time, what a great Sunday to gather next Sunday, the 27th at 9.30. See a church wrestling with a new way of being in a new day where Jesus is central and our neighbors really matter. We're joining Jesus in his mission to reconcile all people, and it's starting to move us next door. All right, thank you for listening to all that. It's a little bit of a, a data dump and an infomercial. I want to switch gears now and come back to the passage of Scripture that uh, we have for this morning. And uh, let me just start by reading this text. If you uh, are able, would you stand and turn your Bible to Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. And I'd invite you to read with me. Let's stand together and read Colossians 3, 16 and 17. I think you'll find that on page 958 of the Pew Bible. One of the fourth graders this morning reminded us that it's good to use the table of contents when you're trying to find a part of the Bible. Some of these chapters are hard to find. Uh, when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. You know, there's a rumor about Fred Rogers, and that is that the reason he wears the long sleeves and the sweaters is because he's covered with tattoos. Have you heard that? There's, there are other rumors that he was a Navy SEAL, that he was a sniper, that he has a dark criminal past. None of this is true. But you know what? There's something in me that kind of makes me want to believe that, you know, that there's some part of me that kind of understands some part of him. I've got him up on such a pedestal just to know that he's a regular guy with tattoos kind of helps me. The culture right now is fascinated with this question. Who is Mr. Rogers? Have you noticed? There's a new Tom Hanks movie about to come out. Who is Mr. Rogers? Not, not, not so much who's the character that he plays, but who's the man behind the character? I think this is because in the culture, we're fascinated with a deeper question, a more pressing question for each of us, and that is the question, who am I? Who am I? Oh, not the character that I play in my life, but the person behind the character that I play. You know, the unique, real me that God created to be. Who am I? Well, I want to invite you to think about that question with me this morning and, and also to think about how we would get a good answer. Uh, to that question. And if you're guessing that it has something to do with circles, you're right, because that's the series we're in. And I just want to give you a real quick review. Remember, we've, we're talking about practices here, and we began with two community practices, belong and exult. And then we moved to two mission practices, chase and adopt. And today, we're going to talk about a formation practice, learn, learn. If we follow Jesus, he will teach us and we will learn. Do you know that the word disciple in Greek just means learner? That's what the disciples of Jesus were and always are. They're, we are learners. 
And we circle around Jesus, just as he did with these 12 disciples, to learn who he is and who we are. And Paul, the apostle, seems to be on to this in the text that we just read, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. This is a practice. But I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Really, I should back up because this practice is rooted in a claim that comes earlier in Colossians chapter 3. And if you have your book open, you might just look at verse 3. Uh, you may have to turn the page back to see this. The claim is so stunning and counterintuitive and countercultural that most of us miss it even when we read it. And yet this claim is so important, St. Paul suggests, that to try to do life without grappling with this claim it makes it impossible to do life well. So what's the claim? It's this. You do not know yourself. That's the claim. You do not know yourself. In the Apostle Paul's words in verse 3, he says it this way. Your life is hidden. Hidden meaning you can't see it, you can't find it, you can't access it. John tells us one time that Jesus was hidden. He was in a mob of people who were antagonizing him, and he needed to escape, and he did. John says he hid, which means the angry mob couldn't see him, couldn't find him, couldn't access him. And here Paul says, that's you to you, your life is hidden. You don't know who you are. You don't even know you. Listen, for you have died, Paul writes, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You don't see yourself, but someday when Christ is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. And then, and only then, you'll know who you truly are. Now, Paul, we say, who is this figure I see in the mirror? You look in the mirror, don't you see you? Well, yes, but you only see some version of you, not necessarily the true you or the most authentic you. Now, fish can teach us something about this. Yeah, regular fish. I don't know if any of you are fisher people, but I love I loved to fish. And if you go to a river and you're able to look through the water and see fish, those fish that you see are not exactly the fish that are there. Now, this is a little tricky. Uh, what you see is a virtual fish. By the way, to me, they always look much larger than they actually are, but they're not in the right place. The further you are away from them and the steeper, the shallower the angle, the more the actual fish is removed from the fish that you see. The reason for that is that your sight line bends when it hits the surface of the water. It's refracted. So you don't actually see the fish as it is or where it is. You see a virtual fish. If you were to be a spear fisherman, and had perfect aim, and you threw that spear exactly where you saw the fish, you would miss it every single time. A good and expert spear fisherman will factor in the virtual fish, will actually aim where they don't see the fish, which actually be down here. 
And that's how they, and that's how they actually, this is very much like faith. It's actually knowing that what you see is deceptive and you're factoring in information on the basis of some other kind of knowledge. And so the, the, the self that we see in the mirror is more of a virtual self than an actual self. We learn that from a fish. By the way, if you want to know why the fish are so smart, it's because they live in schools. That, that was for our fourth graders. The way we view ourselves, in other words, is always broken. Can I say that again? The way you view yourself is always broken broken. It's not accurate. Walker Percy, the American novelist, writes, why is it possible to learn more in 10 minutes about the Crab Nebula in Taurus, which is 6,000 light years away, than you presently know about yourself, even though you've been stuck with yourself all your life? You don't know yourself. See, this is what the apostles are arguing. You don't know who you are, but you can find out and here's my next point. We need someone else to tell us who we are. We need Jesus. Jesus wants to tell you who you are. That's the good news. And see, Paul's arguing that the way to know yourself is not by looking in, inward. This is what our culture tells us. Our culture tells us that actually our purpose in life is to look inside, see, what do I feel like? What do I want? What would make me most happy? You're supposed to do that work, and then you're supposed to live out of that. You discover your truth, and you live your truth. You do you. This is what the philosopher calls expressive individualism. And it's, if there is any moral imperative in our culture today, it's to do this. Look inside, and then live it out. Expressive individualism. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that is not our calling. Actually, the way to discover who you are is not to look in at all, it's to look up to look up. Set your mind on the things above, Paul says. With the eyes of faith, look at Jesus. Now, why would this be? Why is it that we need Jesus to know who we are? Why could it be that we'd only know our true selves by looking up at a man who lived 2,000 years ago, died on a cross, and it is claimed was risen from the dead? Well, let's take the answer from a German theologian. Listen to what he writes. Jesus did not identify the person with their sin, but rather saw in this sin something alien, something that really did not belong to them, something that merely chained and mastered them and from which he would free them and bring them back to their real self. Jesus, he writes, was able to love people because he loved them right through the layer of mud. That's helmet telica. Jesus loves us right through the layer of mud. Now, what's he saying? Well, two things that the Apostle Paul is also arguing. And the first is that our seeing is distorted. And the second is that our being is broken. Our seeing is distorted, but not Jesus's. Look, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, teaches us that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Your vision, your perception is distorted, the Bible teaches, but it's not for Jesus. What distorts our perception is sin. Jesus died for our sin. He has risen to break the power of sin. He loves us right through the layer of mud and sin. 
If Jesus were to be a spear fisher person, he would be perfect because for him, he doesn't see, he sees right through the mud, as Telica says, right? His sight lines are perfect and undistorted, unbent by sin. In fact, Jesus is God, having plunged into our sinful humanity as though a fisherman plunging into the water to remove the water entirely and to see us directly. Jesus is the only one who has ever looked at you and not seen your brokenness. He's the only one who's ever looked at you or ever will look at you and not see your brokenness at all because his sight lines are clear, not distorted by sin. The second reason is that our being is broken, and that's not true for Jesus. Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul works with this dichotomy between the old self and the new self, and he's using new creation language. This idea that with the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, God the Creator is now recreating in Christ. What's the old self? The old self is your false self. Your false self is the you that came to be in a broken world. In part, this is a you that's handed to you by genetics, by family situation, environmental factors, the choices that others have made around you, for you, or about you. But it's also in part the self, the you, that you have been creating. See, we all have an image of what we want ourselves to be like, what we think people expect us to be like. We don't actually know ourselves, but we think we know who others want us to be. And from our very earliest moments on this planet, we start to perform to other people's expectations. We build a self in response to what we think they would be pleased by because we all need to be loved. But we build a false self. We are our own creators. But Jesus doesn't buy it. The theologian says Jesus doesn't identify us with our sin. And this is the way Jesus was. He didn't see a leprous man. He saw a man with leprosy. He didn't see a sinner in the city as everybody else did in Luke 7. He saw a woman who was shedding tears of joy and affection at his feet. Jesus doesn't see your false self. He sees you. One time I, I broke my fishing rod. I have a really expensive fishing rod. It's, a, it's a, called a sage rod. And um, I won't tell you who broke it. They'll remain nameless, but it was one of my children. I had set it down for a moment to help untie their line. You know, this is what I spend most of my time doing when I'm fishing with my kids. And they inadvertently stepped on it, didn't see it there in the rocks, and it cracked through the top section of the rod, which just crushed my spirit. Now, I can tape that back up and keep fishing, but the rod is, 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 is broken. And all I'll have is a lame excuse for why I'm no longer catching fish, right? It's, it functions, but not well, like our broken lives. What I decided to do was to take it back to the manufacturer, which actually is in Bainbridge Island. I could ride my bike there. My wife and I went and gave them the rod, and they worked on it, came back later, picked it up. They had completely fixed it, for free, by the way. Now, why did I take it to the manufacturer? My thinking is that the people who can fix this are the people who made this. 
And that's exactly what God has done in Jesus Christ. The person who created all things in Jesus Christ has come to recreate all things, the beginning of the new creation, the first Adam, the second Adam. Who knows the design of your life better than the one who made you? Before the foundations of the world were laid, you were an idea in the mind of God. You, not the way that you experienced you or we experienced you and your brokenness, but you, perfect in God's goodness and in God's love and you in your uniqueness. And so Paul is saying, you know, when Christ died, you died. Verse 20 of chapter 2, with Christ you died. And then verse 1 of chapter 3, you've been raised with Christ. And then this intriguing passage in verse 10, chapter 3, where he says, the new self, your new self, is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. This is a dynamic and active process that's happening right now. Your new self is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator, of your maker. See, what he's saying is that through faith, your faith unlocks the power of the new creation in your own life. And who you're really meant to be is starting to come out as you get to know Jesus better. Jesus tells us who we are. And he has to because Jesus is the only one who sees all this, the only one who sees the real you. His seeing isn't distorted, and with him, your being isn't broken. You see, when we look in a mirror, remember, the mirror is shattered. It's like someone's taken the mirror off the wall and just shattered it on the ground, and now you've just got shards of glass. And you can look in that and you'll see a reflection, but you'll see either an image of yourself that's too big, You'll be inflated or too small. You'll be buried in shame or too broken in any number of ways. But when we look at Jesus, when we look up into heaven and see Jesus, we see ourselves. David Benner writes, genuine self-knowledge begins by looking at God and noticing how God is looking at us. He writes, a complete knowing of ourself includes three things. Knowing ourselves as deeply loved, knowing ourselves as deeply sinful, and knowing ourselves as in a process of being redeemed and restored. That's what Paul's talking about. How do we get that knowledge of ourselves? Well, here's the practice. I'm going to come back at last to where we began with this passage, this practice in verse 16. It's a practice of circling with others and learning. You see... We need someone else to tell us who we are, and Jesus is that one, but we need someone else to tell us who we are. We need Jesus and others as well. Not just Jesus. There are others here. In, in verse 16, he, he describes the activity of these others in the circle. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Yes. How? By teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Circle with others. This is a formation practice he's talking about. And, and I tell you, this is the teaching of Scripture. It's also been my experience. We need somebody else to tell us who we are. We need someone else to help us hear who Jesus says we are. So just a couple weeks ago, Pastor Aaron said something to me that kind of stopped me dead in my tracks. Uh, he said, we are to serve with the strength with which God strengthens us. 
and he was quoting uh, 1 Peter 4.11, serve with the strength God provides. For some reason, that really struck me. That night when I heard him say those words, I was in the middle of my own struggle, and I, I had the sense that I wasn't enough to face the challenge that I was facing. I felt weak. And I heard him say that. I go, oh my goodness, I had been facing this challenge in my own strength. But God's word here is promising that Jesus provides strength that comes from him. I needed that. I needed to hear that. And I needed a friend to say that to me. So I, I, that phrase from scripture was circulating through my mind like an earworm. And I, I was so grateful for that. I sent Pastor Aaron a text message late at night. I said, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. So here's the response I got. I'm going to read exactly what, is, what he wrote back. He said, thanks, Gio. I've been meditating on that verse since you read it at the deacons meeting last month. What? What was he saying? He's saying, yeah, I got that from you. And I immediately realized how, how hard it is to share good news with ourselves, how much easier it is to hear good news from a sister or from a brother. I mean, you can memorize scripture, you can read scripture, you can sing scripture to yourself, but sometimes you actually just need to hear it from somebody else who says, this is the truth about Jesus and this is the truth about you. And Paul's saying, would you teach and admonish and sing to one another. You get this? This is, this is a circle practice. Now, I want to suggest hearing Jesus speak into your life requires three things. Surrender the word and others. Surrender the word and others. First of all, let me say a few words about these things. Surrender uh, is so important because Jesus won't say anything to you that you're not willing to hear. So we need to surrender to him. Someone said, Jesus will never be arrested for breaking and entering. I like that. He, 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 Paul here is writing to believers. They have surrendered to Jesus. They've committed their lives to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that's why Paul knows Jesus is speaking to them, because they've said yes to Jesus. And we need to do the same thing. We need to say to Jesus, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. Like Samuel, we surrender to Jesus. That's the first step. And if, if you haven't surrendered to Jesus yet, haven't begun a relationship with him, haven't said yes to him, this is where I would urge you to begin, to surrender to Jesus as your Savior and Lord and allow him to start speaking into your life. The second thing we need is the word. We notice here that Paul speaks of the word of Christ. Now, what is that? That's the word about Christ. That's also the word that Christ speaks. And for us, that's this book. It's the Bible. It's the word of Christ. It's the word about Christ. The Old and the New Testament, all of it. The parts that we love and cross-stitch and share with one another, even the parts we avoid and really wish they weren't in the Bible. This is the word of Christ. And James, the brother of Jesus, says the word of God is like a mirror. It's a perfect mirror. The best perception you can see of yourself right now is, is right here in this book. It'll be honest with you. It'll tell the truth and the good news about you. So we need the Word of God. We need to sit under it. And this, our formational communities, as they circle around Jesus and move out into our neighborhoods, are always going to need to and want to engage the Scripture, to sit under the Scripture, to allow Jesus to speak constantly into our lives and tell us, no, that's not who you are. Yes, this is who you are. It's what makes us unique and appealing to our neighbors. And then uh, others. Number three, 
not one, not one another, that's two, not, uh, uh, not each other, that would be two, but it's one another that assumes three. Three people, at least, circling around Jesus with the word, teaching, admonishing, and singing. Do you hear the joy there? He says, by the way, the reason you're singing is because of God's grace. Our circles have to always be gracious circles. That's the culture of the circle, gracious. He says, sing in gratitude. The Greek there could be translated gratitude or grace. Sing in gratitude. Sing in grace. We're, we're, we're sharing the good news with each other. By the way, note, we're not advice giving. We don't circle around Jesus to give each other advice, to tell each other how to live, to put one another under a new law, or to throw each other back onto our brokenness. No, Jesus is the hero of our story, and he's the hero of every one of our circles. We gather around him to share with one another the good news and say, oh, this is Jesus. Jesus is here. No, that's not what you're like. This is what I see in you, in the light of Jesus. And then finally, there's a wonderful thing that happens, and this text promises us in the way that Paul personifies Jesus. Notice that the word of Christ dwells. To say that the word of Christ dwells is to personify the word. Uh, to dwell means to live in. Now Paul's making reference to Jesus as the one who's alive in the midst of the circle. The word of Christ now is not just the word about Christ or the word that Christ speaks into our life, but the word who is Christ, the living word at the center of the written word. Now Jesus steps out of the pages of the Bible, steps into the center of the circle, and we see him through the Holy Spirit present, speaking to one another, saying, this is you, this is me, and this is what we're doing together. Join me. Summoned, as it were, by the worship of the circle, he becomes present and he speaks. Jesus is moving into the neighborhood, and so are we. I'm excited. I want to invite you to be here next Sunday. I want to, I want to invite you to help us figure this out and begin to gather by neighborhood. No, Fred Rogers didn't have tattoos. But here's what he, he, he did have. Here's what he knew. He knew that when we and our neighbors come to know who we truly are in Jesus Christ, it will change not only ourselves, but it will change the world. I want to close again with Fred Rogers' words. And you could see this is about a bigger and a better world and our ability to join Jesus in its transformation. Here's what he says. When I say it's you I like, I'm talking about that part of you that knows that life is far more than anything you can ever see or hear or touch that deep part of you that allows you to stand for those things without which humankind cannot survive. Love that conquers hate. Peace that rises triumphant over war. And justice that proves more powerful than greed. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the good news that you are the one who is the Savior, that you are the one who is Lord. We thank you for the good news that you have died and risen and ascended to the Father's right hand and now reign in glory. And we lift up our eyes, we set our minds on things above to receive your grace. Jesus, tell us who we are. Jesus, tell us who we are individually and corporately as a church. We pray this in your name and we pray this for your glory. Amen.